Hello, my name is John O'Connell, and welcome to AMX Fika Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FICA? FICA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. So joining myself today is Giuseppe Salazzo, Deputy Director, Head of AI Skunk Works and Deployment at NHSX. Giuseppe is a data technology leader who specializes in setting up high-performance teams and working with data technology, digital transformation, policy, and strategy. And he brings together what he classes as an unconventional combination of experiences, which include senior leadership and what he calls hands-on geeky passions and the ability to make connections between people and in areas of work that are not immediately related by joining the dots up, as we say. So really fascinating work to hear about there. And Giuseppe's proudest achievement is receiving the 2016 IDO Award as individual champion of open data from the hands of Sir Tim Bernstein-Lee. Fantastic. A prize that recognizes his work for advocating the effective use of open data and building communities around it. So we'll hear more about that. He was also recently listed in the 2021 Data IQ Top 100. So welcome, Giuseppe. We are really delighted to have you join us on AMX Fika. And thank you for inviting me. Pleasure, pleasure. So as with all our guests, Giuseppe, most important question first. Uh, Fika is obviously coffee and a cake with friends or amongst friends. What are you, a coffee or tea drinker? And what's your favorite cake? Oh, I, I'm addicted to coffee. I had about four espressos <laughs> since this morning. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got addicted to the thing and um, I can live without it. it. It's bad, but you know, it's yeah, great awesome. I know that feeling. <laughs> and cake-wise, uh, I'm more of a biscuit, like cookie thing to go along yeah. with, with coffee. But if I have to choose a cake, I love pavlovas. I'm a big into meringues. So anything with a meringue in will do. That's a brilliant choice, isn't it? <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that with us. So, Giuseppe, really interesting and great that you, you could join us uh, on, on the podcast. Really be uh, interested for all our listeners uh, to really hear about your interesting career today and share any kind of insights you've had as you've sort of ended up where you are today. Would you be able to sort of walk us through your sort of career today? Be really interested to hear about that. Yeah, so let's a bit backwards, actually. So before joining yep. NHSX about a year ago, I was head of data at the Department for Transport, uh, where fundamentally I, I, I sort of was the salesperson for the concept of using data within the department. So I set up the teams required to deal with that, which was you know, something we can explore in more detail, but fundamentally it was about setting up teams that had to do with policy, engineering, uh, and delivery of data solutions. Uh, before then, I worked for about 10 years in the IT department at St. George's Hospital Medical School, uh, which was an amazing job that included very different and diverse uh, roles, uh, which you know ranged from you know supporting the 300 servers uh, and then doing projects that had to do with uh, supporting research. I, I ended up publishing a paper with other researchers on cardiovascular surgery, which is something quite uncommon for any IT person. Uh, I set up our high-performance computing platform, uh, helped with research data management policy. Um, so, you know, some of this, you know, I, I, I was lucky enough to have a very varied 
role there. Um, and as part of that, I carved out some space for freelance work. Uh, I ended up being a member of the Open Data User Group, which was a, a, a panel advising the UK government on open data. This was, you know, when the open data agenda was uh, was sort of cool, uh, as we say. So yeah, it's a mixed background, starting with technology and evolving into other directions, uh, which I find exciting. Great. No, thanks for sharing that. It's, it's the diversity is fantastic, isn't it? And I suppose the work you're doing now, it all kind of builds on that experience in the past. So you can sort of reflect on it. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, one person once described me uh, at St. George's, a DIT guy with a vision, which was an interesting <laughs> thing, but also got me to reflect. And effectively, what I really like is to connect the extremely technical uh, to the strategy and, and you know, the, what's actually more abstract than that. So it, it's about developing languages to talk to both, let's say, the techies, and I'm one of them, yeah. uh, to people who are in positions of policy, strategy, and sometimes leadership. So, so important nowadays as we move towards sort of more technical sort of solutions, but, you know, huge, huge, big business problems that we have. But no, thanks for sharing that fascinating journey with us. And just looking about some of the sort of work you're doing with the, the Skunk Works team and the Skunk Works approach, I believe you you mentioned when we last spoke that you're in round two of projects. Would you be able to share with some of our listeners some of the exciting projects you have underway? Yes. You mentioned about risk stratification. Yeah, there? so just to give you a, a 30 seconds pitch about what the Skunk is. Skunk is yeah. the idea that we can learn more about the artificial intelligence by co-production. So it's all aimed at knowledge transfer while we work on a journey uh, together with uh, any organization in the NHS which wants to try AI. Um, and yeah, so one of the recent projects we've been working at is about uh, understanding what happens when people uh, spend a lot of time in, in hospital beds. So as we know, there's some research in the space that tells us uh, that uh, needless long stays are correlated with worse outcomes. Um, so if we can somehow identify those patients that are more at risk of needless long stays, we can somehow take action and save this patient's problems, uh, while at the same time also um, sparing some of the resources of the pressure resources of a system that is stretched, as we know. So when Gloucestershire hospitals came to us with uh, the idea like, uh, you know, can we use our data to make a prediction of, of whether a patient is at risk of long stay at the point of admission, we said, okay, this is a great problem to work towards. Uh, and we, we basically worked for um, 12 weeks, which is our standard project duration with a supplier called Polygeist, um, which developed a form of artificial intelligence, which is quite hipster in many ways. It's a what's called a generative adversarial network, uh, which is a name in itself that is quite uh, difficult to, uh, to utter. But um, what it does is basically is to create a prediction for any patient presenting presented at the mission and what the hospital could do with that is basically to um, focus their resources uh, to uh, to patients that have been identified as a higher risk and um, what we're seeing with this project is quite interesting so um, the you know, the, we, we work towards a proof of concept, so it's not like a live service, but the proof of concept seems to be able to predict two thirds of the uh, of the long stay years. And what the team in the hospital is now doing is applying to an AI award uh, to see if they can get more funding to actually bring this proof of concept into production. Now, that's clearly beyond my mandate, but uh, it's been really interesting. What we've done also has been sharing 
what we learn with this project, with case studies, blog posts, we're going to be doing a seminar, uh, but uh, also with the release of source code, uh, which we hope will inspire other technologists out there, other analysts out there to, to try and, and understand what AI really is. And I think AI is a tool, it's one of the tools in the arsenal, it's not magic, I would say. Projects like this are actually showing that it's not magic at all. This is just um, a way to to go through the data and produce something useful and helpful. Yeah, it's kind of always say that AI is what we want to do, and the ML is kind of the, the the tools we use to do it. And it's kind of moving from that is it descriptive, I suppose, into predictive. And 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 on that that really really very interesting sort of case study that you're working up with, with those guys as well. So have they kind of been able to, I suppose, forward look at what they think potential pathways of patients could be and then intervene and sort of steer them back towards a more safer, yes. shall I say, a more effective pathway? So what's very interesting in this is that the team that came to us uh, was the business intelligence team from, from the hospital. So these are people who are used to deal with data. They're used to do analysis. So they're going to be the part of our you know, big analyst family. Um, but at the same time, I, I think by working with us, they also discovered what are the difficulties in applying uh, AI on, on an everyday basis. So what, what we'll probably be doing, it will be providing them uh, with data science support for a few months to, to further explore and, and to talk with their clinicians on what you know, the, the actionable uh, route uh, to a tool like this, because clearly this is a a decision support tool. It's not something that you know we plug in and 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 does things for 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 the system. It, it's something that clinicians would love to interpret and 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 pass. And that's I think where AI is best placed is by providing uh, advice. Um, and what we're talking with with the team is actually um, what sort of understanding of of the model produced by this AI um, needs to happen on the hospital side. And um, clearly, you know, th there is an interesting question here. AI is, is is new in many ways. Um, what happens is that often when we want to productionize an AI model, um, the teams in an NHS trust might not know exactly what it means to support that model uh, as things move forward. So you know, as as new data comes into um, into the model, uh, there's that problem that is called model decay, which is basically the problem that uh, at the beginning a model performs very well, provides accurate forecasts, and as time moves on, those forecasts become less and less accurate. So how do you manage that problem once we have a live problem? And all this yeah. is, they say, are new problems that the Scanquist team is basically trying to unearth so that we can somehow hold hands with um, hospitals like Gloucestershire and help them get on that journey. That journey might you know, end up with them applying AI. It might end up with saying, well, actually, that didn't do much for us. We'll, we'll stick to our traditional models. Uh, but it's a journey that I think must be had so that we all grow in our knowledge of, of artificial intelligence. Because artificial intelligence is out there. Uh, and the best way to engage with it is by by learning how it works and how it can manage. It's fascinating. It's interesting when you deploy the model, you have the test and the training data, and then as soon as you've deployed it, it becomes, not, not say defunct, but becomes less efficient. So you need to then yeah. revamp that. Yeah, it's that model in that pipe way of re-energizing re the model each time. But no, thanks for sharing. That's fascinating, isn't it? And it's great that the decision support. Uh, do you do any work before they sort of do that modeling to, to sort of explore the potential scalability of these things before people launch into it? So it's, it's part of our journey is fundamentally to just focus on, on getting to a proof of concept. So um, in theory, we shouldn't really be focusing on any of that. However, I have to say that these journeys often are, are complicated. Uh, and the first complication is actually information governance. I mean, clearly, 
uh, this is all new. Data protection teams are not really used to dealing with, you know, let get us access to some data in order to develop a model. Um, so clearly, we we end up having a close relationship with with IG information governance teams in hospitals or uh, on our side. I mean, HSX information governance is supporting us all the time. Uh, in the part, as part of that, sometimes we we engage also with the IT teams on hospital side. And I have been on an IT team. I, I know all the difficulties that are, you know, uh, present on, on on that side. You know, we we often are not a very popular category of people in the, in the IT world. You know, we seem like the computer says no IT crowd. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I have this benefit of having seen things from both angles, uh, being, you know, at the same time a, a user uh, of, of IT and, uh, let's say, a supporter of IT. And I, I think what's really important is to, to really interpret all these journeys as conversations that need to be had. Um, and that actually helps us understand what what the capabilities are. I always say, um, if, if for those of you who are familiar with you know the government digital service, you know the the, the, the motto of what's the user need. That's our first question. It must always be our first question. The second question, however, for us analysts is, uh, what's the capability uh, in the user's organisation? Because by learning these two things, we can sort of help them uh, choose the right technology, choose the right strategy, but also um, having a path towards improving their analytical and digital capabilities. That's amazing advice. No, thanks for sharing that with us, Giuseppe. That's really, really insightful. And Giuseppe, it'd be great to, you know, as we mentioned, when we spoke up, we were saying something about there's a bit of hesitancy and a bit of nervousness sometimes, I suppose, people about AI and machine learning coming through. But the great to, if you could share with some of our listeners, some of the best practical advice you mentioned about, you know, uh, demystifying AI and machine learning that would help some of our sort of listeners provide new insights. You know, that, that mission you, as you mentioned to sort of take the magic out of AI. Is there any sort of advice you can give to people? So one thing, of course, I, I sort of you know I've been on, on social media. I've been sort of you know uh, social media fights about this topic, but you know yeah. I, I remember the same thing happening almost 20 years ago on news groups and you know the previous technology. So I think this world today, you know, we, we tend to polarize everything, um, and there is a lot of hype around AI. There is also mm-hmm. a lot of misconceptions around AI, and these tend to be polarized between uh, you know those who think that AI is a magic wand and those who think that AI is in, in inherently evil. And what I think is that AI is a tool. is It's, it's actually it's a bit of a boring yeah. tool in many ways. You know, it's one of the tools in the arsenal, uh, and you know we, we can learn to to use it. And, and it, I think the the key element here is to stop believing that is the solution to all problems, but yeah. also that it is evil. What we do is we have a problem. Whenever that problem is data driven uh, and and there is sometimes you know a known uh, analytical solution to that problem well ai is likely to be able to provide um some extra edge if it's applied properly um but we also at the very beginning of the life cycle of many of these ai solutions so to me it's all about having an open mind having a lot of oversight as well like scrutiny on what's happening and this way we can learn and let's say get stronger and clearly we will i think we need a prediction all prediction get and yeah. end up being wrong and somehow but i think that ai will over time reveal itself as particularly useful in certain areas maybe a bit less useful in other areas but to me ai when i say you know let's take magic out of ai what i often mean is that ai should be used as a tool it should be yep. used in a you know in a workflow where you know humans are the key element, and, and AI can give those humans an edge. Uh, it's and kind of that, 
dare I say, it's that synergy between human and machine. We, we hand off from the machine, we hand back to the human and vice versa. It's that sort of symbiotic relationship yeah. we're aiming for, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, and everything goes into into, you know, into cycles. Uh, yeah. So, you know, clearly, yeah, it, it's interesting to see how, how we engage with technology in general. And that there's always, you know, since the uh, industrial revolution, there's always been those who are against some technology, yeah. so we're totally in favor. Uh, and I always think, you know, both yeah. might be right. It, it, yeah. um, our job is to make sure that we scrutinize new technology, try it, learn how they yeah. work best, and apply them shape. the right way. Yeah, and shape it as well. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. And Giuseppe, we're saying there's a huge learning journey that, you know, regarding AI that we all got to go on and sort of realizing the benefits of, of machine learning and bring specifically when I talk about that, I mean, for leadership in particular. And you mentioned when we spoke that, you know, it's all about having fun with technology. And you said that, you know, your, your phrase you used, I think, was a passion for the practical. What advice do you, could you give to some leaders that, you know, and how could they tap into their passion for the practical? It'd be really good to sort of uh, for their own personal development. What advice would you give them? I mean, I, I always say um, it's 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 right for a leader to um, to try things with their hands, uh, and that yeah. might mean you know getting down to coding if that they're, they're so uh, minded. But that might mean you know taking other practical hobbies. Uh, yeah. I, I always say that I think things that are beyond the mere management of of things in 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 the professional life are a way I think to engage with. Um, and to actually to develop the language of people who are more technical, people who are analytical in their profession. And I think that's very, very important for, for a leader. Mm -hmm. uh, once again, I think you know, I, I, I do have a passion for everything like uh, practical. I, I do an, an allotment on the side of my on my role. I, I do, you know, every evening I, <laughs> I go there, dig a bit, take a bit of vegetables. Uh, and, you know, that's given me a bit of an understanding of how things can be navigated over time. You know, when you have an allotment, you also have you know, these, these problems, you have pests, you have, you know, but you also have seasons and mm. you learn that everything is a cycle. Um, so that, that's given me a bit of, you know, of, a, of an approach to, to life over time. Um, coding is the same fundamentally. Yep. You know, it's something that allows you to develop something that you might, might be caring about with a you know, bit of a geeky twist to it, uh, but might help the you know the person who's a who's a leader in in, in their profession to actually um, understand what life is like for 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 everyone else, um, and equally I think for people who are in analytical, practical, digital jobs, what's really important is to try and develop the the language, the rhetoric, the way they relate to people's problems into the way they communicate this to to the leadership. Um, I, I think, you know, what, what we really need to develop as often is, um, you know, as translators, uh, being yeah. able to bridge between different areas of knowledge, between different professions. I mean, the civil service, this is actually even more intense because we, we you know, we, we all have uh, these professions all with their own, you know, pedigree, with their own values, with their own uh, pride in a sense uh, and what I realized when I was in civil service is that often these different professions were speaking about the same thing but with different yeah. languages and, and it, it's, it's good to try and bring them together so that's Unify. the other suggestion yeah. I have. Fantastic. No, thanks for sharing that with us. It's fascinating. And no, thanks for sharing with us your, your journey, fascinating journey of the diversity of the roles that you had as well. And I love the the idea of being, you come up with, you have quoted, was it the IT guy with a vision and, and how important that is as well. But, and also for sharing with us that, that really exciting uh, 
case study you've got about AI being used to look and make better predictions about those long stayers. And I would, we can put it on the link as well, but it's a good case study I think you shared with us that people's going to have a look at that. And I, and I really like the ability that the, the idea of actually doing those proof of concept first, you know, failing fast or pivot and change, I think is really, really good as well. But um, yeah, no. Um, and then finally finishing off is said about, you know, um, the magic of AI is a tool, but it needs to be the right application and goes back to those things that you said about what's the user need, which is really, really important again, and then what's the capability. And they could tap into you guys and your team to help support if there's a capability gap. But, um, you know, and then a final shout out to leaders, which is roll your sleeve up and get coding if if, 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 you, if you sort of desire as such and get it, get involved with it as well. But um, most importantly, develop your language. How important that great message that is back to everybody as well. But uh, yeah, no, fantastic insights and thanks for sharing them with us. And what do you do? Because I mean, that sounds like with the allotment and everything else that's going on with the, with the Skunk Works team as well. What do you do to relax outside of work? Um, I think digging is, is quite a, a, a good form of relaxation. Though. I, 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 yeah. Yeah, I do crochet as well. Um, yeah. I, I think to have an addiction yeah. to finding new hobbies all the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm a home cheese maker as well. Um, wow. So yeah, um, geeky hobbies, things you can do yeah. in the weekend, it's fine. Yeah. Oh, I've taken up geobatter bread making, that was that was good enough. Oh, it turned nice, out quite nice, well, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was brilliant, uh, yeah. I, are but, you uh, one of those, like, um, um, what's it called, um, yeast making people? Yeah, a little pot of, uh, yeah. Wow. That's hardcore. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Quite a few disappointments, but again, it's a cycle. As you say, you learn, you try, you test, you fail, and you and you pivot and you do it again, and then you get the success you want, and that you can apply to any business and, and specifically the the application of data and technology. Brilliant. Thank you. And how can people follow you? Because I'm sure they will want to. How do they follow you on Twitter and LinkedIn? Is there a a site that you've got that we can plug into? Yeah. So, I mean, it's very easy to find me on LinkedIn. There's not many yep. people with my name and surname, of course. Uh, on, on Twitter, I'm Puntofisso, P-U-N-T-O-F-I-S-S-O. Uh, if, if you Google that name, you'll probably find enough about me, my newsletter and, and all that. We'll make sure those links are on, on the actual podcast as well. But just if you know, thanks for, for sharing that with us, those wonderful insights. And we'd love to get you back again when we hear some more about some of the great work you guys and the Skunkwood team is doing. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you very much. So I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the future.